Hello and welcome to the Right for Your Life podcast. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And um and this might be a slightly a slightly different podcast, and I'll tell you for why. Um it's because uh, I've just realized that we were talking as we usually do before the before the uh, episode starts and uh, we were talking over video and for the first time in many months we've left the video on so we can actually see each other. Yeah, it's very disconcerting. I'm disconcerted. I'm just going to have to try not to pick my nose. My concerts are dissed. Oh. I don't think, don't think that's how it works. <laughs> no, I'm just, I've got you very, very small if that's um, any consolation in the corner there so I don't think you're going to strike me too much. Good. This is good to know. We're going to be talking about writing, publishing, and reading, uh, possibly as well. That's what we talk about every week. If you're new to the show, um, and it, it turns out, Donna, I'm surprised. Mm. I'm, I'm, su- I'm as surprised as anyone that um, we have not just our finger on the pulse, but we have um, we have our whole hand on the pulse. Because we've been talking over the last, um, which is not how you help someone in a medical situation, um, but that's how you. Um, no, that's the. No, that's not. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm too distracted by looking at your face. I, think I can't even hear what you're saying. It just happened. That's what happened then. I you laughed and I looked down to see if you were actually laughing because what I'd said wasn't funny, and um, and then I thought, well, Donna's laughing, and then I thought, <laughs> and then I thought I'm in the middle of a podcast, and I basically repeated the sentence I'd said before. <laughs> absolutely doomed should we switch the video off let's do it i don't show is it possible to switch the video off halfway through a skype call because what so far this podcast has been gold and if we lose any of this you've gone <laughs> i haven't gone gone i'm still here <laughs> so the reason we've got our fingers on the pulse is because um in the news this week in the literary news um it's all been about authors salaries and um uh, or, or the lack thereof um, for the average author, and uh, yeah. we we've been talking about this for the last couple of months, really, on and off, about um, the challenge of uh, being a middleist author, uh, um, uh, which we I think it's fair to say we perhaps both are. We're we're certainly not authors who can. Are we? Are we there already? <laughs> well, do you know, see, <laughs> the that's dizzy heights of the middleist. That's interesting because this is something I want to come on to. But my hesitation there was, I, my hesitation was genuine because I thought, God, am I even middleist? But we're not, let's not go down the negativity uh, route. Um, let's say that we are. Stick with it. And uh, we're both published authors. That, that's the way. That's where we can start. That's it. Let's start there. That's a fact. Um, and and so there's been a couple of articles. One in the in the Guardian, which is um, uh, which is by Alison Flood, one of the editors of the Guardian website, um, and it's about um, uh, the title is author authors' incomes collapse to abject levels. A survey finds that the median annual earnings for uh, excuse me the median annual earnings for professional writers have fallen to eleven thousand pounds, twenty nine percent down since two thousand and five. Now, what's your reaction to to the to to the the reality of earning eleven thousand pounds a year from your writing? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds sweet. My uh, initial reaction was, "Blimey, two thousand and five, they were twenty nine percent higher than that." And annual authors' earnings in the UK, I was shocked. I was like, "That's that's amazing." I mean, I do, my, my experience of this is is not really myself because I, you know, I mean. 
I'm never going to make any money from, from writing poetry. But my mum, who has lots of children's books written, about 25, 30 or so, I mean, and she's never been able to to make a full, full-time go of that. She has to do loads of other things on the side. Um, so I just kind of assumed that that's just the way it was. Of course, I knew that there were authors that, had, you know, were million million dollar authors that doesn't sound right million pound authors million dollar authors whatever but I just assumed that most writers struggled to get by and had to do something on the side so this was actually quite interesting to me from that perspective well I mean for all of you out there who have been who are looking for agents or just thinking of getting your or your you know let's say novel published um I'm, I'm I wasn't surprised at all by that um that fall in uh, earnings because um, it's been well documented that advances are incredibly small compared to how they were. I remember when I was doing my master's. You'd think these things would go up, wouldn't you? Mm. I remember when I was doing my master's and um, the figure that we were kind of given, we were very clearly told that it could be more, it could be less, but a rough guide is about £10,000. This was 2000, 2003. Um Possibly not for a debut novel, I don't know. I can't quite remember exactly the, the details, but that was kind of a rough kind of figure. Um, and the author on your um, on your course, I don't know whether she was in your year, um, who published the short history of tractors in Ukrainian. Marina Loika. Yes. Was she in your year or a different year? She was in the set above me, so she went through the previous year. So at her book, had she signed by the time you when you guys were still studying? Um, I don't know. I didn't know her. I have. I did meet her various times after it was published, um, but I don't. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that she'd got the book deal while she was on the on the uh, course. No, I'd just be very interested to know whether what how, what her what her advance had been. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. But it, probably uh, probably a decent uh, a decent rate. I would have thought. Mm. But um, but yeah, so uh, so that was two thousand and three, and you know, I, I, don't get me wrong, we've we've talked about this over the previous months. People are still getting large advances, um, but very few people, and advances in general are are way down, and you know, my own included. Um, so, like you, I saw eleven thousand pounds and thought that sounds all right to me. <laughs> um, not too bad at all, thank you. But um, you know, let's take this is a median annual earnings. So those huge outliers who are earning millions uh, or hundreds of thousands of pounds of, uh, of earnings, you know, they really do bump that average up quite a bit. Most writers um, are not earning that, and this is something again that we've talked about. Um, but interesting that it's come back in the news. Uh, we've been talking about it in the last couple of uh, months. I think mostly on a kind of anecdotal and personal basis, but here we have some facts, some some statistics. I'm stumbling over my words today. It's not the best time to be doing it. There's a lot of S's, though, going on in that sentence. I know, and I've, I'm using a, a new pop filter today, a new pop filter, so I'm hoping that it's doing its job because I'm really testing it out. <laughs> you totally are. Um, authors, what do they earn? 11.5% of professional authors earn their income solely by writing. 11%, 11.5%, did you say? 11.5% of professional authors earn their income solely by writing. Not bad. Do you reckon 11.5%? That doesn't sound like many. Well, but like I just said, I didn't think that hardly anybody could. 
I mean, I imagined it. I imagined seriously. I was so pessimistic about it that it was like a handful, or maybe twenty or so. I mean, because the thing is, right, is that how do they do this? A lot of authors don't just solely write. They do. They get paid to do other things on the side as well. Even people, even authors that earn a lot of money, wouldn't you say? Well, they do definitely. I mean, it's uh, and we, again, we talked about this last week uh, that a lot of authors will go, particularly ch- children's authors, will go and do events in schools, and you can earn, you know, you can earn uh, a few hundred quid if you're any good um, uh, by going into a school and you know doing activities with kids, reading to the kids, and 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 that's where you earn the money that allows you to then write. Um, but this is eleven point five percent. Um, who earn their income solely by writing. So that's why it's so low, I guess. They don't do all of those other things. They can just write and yeah. um, and earn their money. Here's another yeah. one. The mean, the minimum income standard in the UK, that's a slightly odd way of saying it, um, is £16,850. I don't know what that is in dollars, probably $25,000, $30,000, maybe $25,000. Um, the professional author's median income is £11,000. So considerably less. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is um this has uh, been in the news. This article has got lots of publicity, and um, and yes, like you, I thought the same. I thought you know that doesn't sound quite so bad, but maybe this is maybe this is um something that we should fight against more. Maybe we shouldn't be just accepting it like it, or just be pessimistic to the point where we just go, well, crikey sounds all right to me maybe we should be banging the drum and trying to encourage more people in some way or another more people to uh buy fiction or support fiction and trying to find ways to get around this today um joanne harris author of chocolat i think we may have also mentioned recently but she's written a piece for the telegraph in the uk today and um and it's 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 the whole piece is it's really interesting to be in the show notes tell me donna where would the show notes be the show notes will be at five by five dot tv slash wfyl slash one one nine bonza um and 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 in this it's kind of uh she described it herself on twitter as kind of a piece about the plight of the midlist so the fact that you used to have this midlist category of authors who could make a living out of writing but they weren't kind of on the bestsellers list they were just you know working authors Um, and the fact that that group of people seem to be the ones hardest hit by uh, things like um, uh, I don't know things like uh, the change you know the rise of digital publishing in some way has affected people Amazon bookshops closing the recession all of these things that we all know about that are affecting the publishing industry, the authors who are getting it the most are the ones in the midlist because those advances that we've just talked about are going down and if you don't get your advance and you're not selling books in the way that the bestsellers do, then where is the money coming from? Um, well, it, somewhere else. Um, usually another job like me and you uh, have to do. Um, uh, the the quote that I in Joanne Harris's um, piece that I wanted to just talk about, or the sort of one sentence that really struck me, um, is she says, "Part of the problem," um, I pointed out. So she went to a, a panel on the, at the House of Commons. Part of the problem I pointed out is that, thanks to the media, the public has a distorted view of what the average author's life is like. And again, this tied into what I was talking about either last week or the week before that about my little 
uh, tete-a-tete on the internet where I felt completely aggrieved that someone was a, had written um, a kind of very personal, uh, what I considered to be a personal attack on me. And one of the things that I was aggrieved about was the fact that I couldn't understand why they just didn't see me as a normal person who's, like I said at the time, got you know a family and a, and a, and a job and other things too, as well as just, you know, I just happened to have a published book as well. And it was interesting that she's that she's used the phrase that thanks to the media, the public has a distorted view of what the average author's life is like. She goes on to say, not everyone can expect the kind of success earned by J.K. Rowling. If anything, quite the reverse. And then she quotes this, um, the statistics that I've already read before. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all of this. I don't know what to do about it. The one thing that I feel is that more people... I, I want more people to tell people that they've enjoyed my book. That's what I that's what I really want. And it's something that I've tried to do with other people's books. If there's a book that I read and I really like it, no matter who the writer is, whether they're a bestseller or whether they are, um, you know, debut novelist with, you know, a relative relatively obscure author I, I if i like it then i'd really try my best to make sure that i tell people and not just online but in person too you know read this book it was great absolutely um, we have to be advocates for readers if we're writers you have to be passionate about reading and getting people to read i have to ask you something about this though ian it's funny because we also were talking about this with Viv McDermott, weren't we, when we, she'd said exactly the same thing about the fact that if she'd started out writing now, she wouldn't have made it for exactly the same reasons. Um, do you not think that this is a bit the same as actors and actresses? That, you know, in the media, there are obviously quite a number, of, well, probably more actors and actresses that earn an absolute fortune than there are writers, but that there are many many people out there trying to make their way in in acting that really really struggle and those are not the people that you you see or know about but we just assume that actors and actresses have a very very you know plush lifestyle because of of the ones that earn lots and lots of money do you not think it's a little bit of the same thing here like you don't really know what writers what kind of lives they lead because they're not in the public eye the writers that are in the public eye are the writers that that have a nice life. I guess so. I mean, I I, I think that you're right. I think probably musicians, and maybe just creative people in general. Maybe maybe it's uh, maybe the maybe maybe the idea that you know it's not real work that kind of thing, and people being overpaid for. You know, I think I don't know if it's the same elsewhere, but in 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 England, in the UK, there's definitely that. I think there's a, a sense of, um, you know, if you go down the pit, or if you are a I don't know a builder, that's real work. Working with your hands is real work. If you mm. are a painter, or a, or if you're an author, or you know any of these things, then in some way it's not real work, and it's almost I think it can be seen as a luxury almost, and I think. Yeah. Along with that, perhaps the assumption is that it's a a well a well numerated, renumerated. Uh, I'm not sure which the right one is there. Um, uh, occupation. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so this is my next question. Then, don't you think that's always the way it's been? That like, I, I my impression when I was a kid of writers, I think was that you know, I didn't imagine that writers were people that had 
loads of money. I never thought about that. If, if, if anything, I thought the exact opposite, that writers were like, you know, Dylan Thomas getting drunk in a cottage in the middle of nowhere with, with you know, holes in his trousers. That's how I thought authors and, and poets were. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? The risk. The, it's a dichotomy. That's yeah. what we've got going on here. And I think um, as long as you're realistic about it, I, I don't know. I, I'm not particularly concerned, I guess, because I never had high expectations. Yes. And, and, and that is an important part of it. And we, it's, it's such an important thing to, to really get hold of as a, as a writer who's trying to get published or trying to self-publish is to really not just have expectations, but to really understand what it is that you're getting into. Absolutely. Um, because, you, I mean, if you're setting yourself goals that, that say, for example, in five years, I would like to be earning all of my income through writing and you're not even published yet. I mean, that, that I would say, is going to be, you know, difficult to attain. But if you're somebody who says, I would like to be earning a comfortable part-time salary on writing, for example, in a few years' time, and then be free to do other projects, maybe that's something that then is more realistic. Well, I think that's going to link onto what I'm going to talk about now. That's how that's that's how I'm that's how I feel. I, my expectations mm. have changed. I think I said this before because I was br- went through a very traditional, you know, English degree, masters in creative writing. Um, when advances were much bigger, I think although I was, well, I was realistic, and I didn't just assume that everything was going to happen for me. My expectations were certainly probably higher than perhaps they should have been in this current world or the current market um and i i think so i think this is an important point because it's fine that these articles are you know i agree with joanne harris it is a you know it is a shame that this is happening to really good authors uh, and artists um but nothing's we're not going back i i don't see um i don't think that this is gonna go back it's not imploding well, it's not imploding. People are still getting advances. People are still getting published. Good books are still getting read. But as authors, I don't think we're suddenly going to go back to lots and lots of people having huge advances. And I think that as authors, we have to try and think a bit outside of the box. And this is exactly what people who are successful with self-publishing are doing. They are successful at it because they're thinking slightly differently. And I personally might not agree with the tactics that are used to sell some of those books. If you think about all those self-published books that have, for example, um, women's legs and nothing else on the front cover, no matter what the book is about, to me it's... Um, it's I, don't, I, I don't even know what the word is. It's horrendous. It's, like, it's so far away from what I think writing and being an author should be about. However... You might argue that they've thought outside of the box and they've thought, how can I turn this into something that I do for a living? And lots of people are doing it and and lots of people aren't using those kinds of tactics and are still making a success out of it. So as authors, as authors who are published traditionally, what can we do? And this is why I've been thinking so much about using Patreon, which is something that, again, I've talked about before, but, you know, the whole thing is connected. Um but Patreon, the idea of, of, of putting something out there for free, this is how it works. Um, it could be anything, it could be short stories, it could be 
chapters, it could be podcast episodes, it could be YouTube videos, putting something out there on a regular basis for free and then saying to people, if you want, you can pay me and support me. And of course, it's kind of the Kickstarter system uh, with Patreon, which is if you pay me $5 or pounds, then you will get this reward. If you pay me $10 a month, then you'll get this, $20 and on and on. Um, Now, the way that I've been thinking about this is because I've talked about having this kind of fictional podcast script that I've been working on and I've got to the point where I've kind of got a pilot and in fact I sent to you this week Donna and we I'd be interested to know what you think I did. I'm, I'm really excited about listening to it um I, I used I, didn't, I am I am really excited about listening to it <laughs> I forgot to tell you <laughs> I that I just say that I used your I've, I've used one of your poems in it and I forgot to both ask permission and even tell you about it denied <laughs> one of <laughs> now that's that's cool well one of the one of the because one of the other things that I've always wanted to do, um, well, I have done it before, I just I haven't done it for a while, is be a publisher and publish other people's stuff. Um, and this fictional podcast, in the middle of it, there is a section for poetry, like a poetry corner kind of thing. And I thought as part of this, I could invite people to, you know, listeners to submit their poems and I will read one a week in character and um, and kind of make it a bit more of a community type inclusive thing. And that might help, you know, build this patron type scheme anyway cool. for the cool pilot idea. i chose one of your poems oh. um slightly off topic but what nice. i've been thinking is that you know i'm a literary author and um i'm writing my second novel and you know what maybe i will get a giant advance that will help me go well on my way to uh, making um writing fiction my full-time thing maybe it might happen but realistically it probably won't i might get a bigger advance than i got last time hey i might not get published at all who knows but the way i've been thinking about it is if i can do something else that's fiction based that could build an audience but also earn money in other places i could do the schools thing i could do um uh speaker events and uh, and i may do those things too i'm doing a workshop for writers next month in fact this month um but if i was actually writing and still earning money through something like a patronage scheme um, then maybe that's what authors need to do. Not necessarily that, but just think, okay, well, my main thing is my writing, my, my, my novels or my, you know, my long-form journalism, my your poetry in your case. That's my thing, but I acknowledge that I might not get paid a full-time wage for this. So what else can I do? What other systems are there out there that I can use to try and get some sort of income? And um, I don't know, I think that I think authors and, you know, and publishers actually, but authors, no matter how you're published, you need to start just thinking about money as, um, I've always said that people shouldn't worry about money. And I still think that's true in terms of creating art. You know, if you're, if you're writing a novel, then I don't personally think it's massively healthy for it to be because you want to get some money, apart from it being unrealistic. But at the same time, if if you are trying to plan a career, then you do need to think about um, uh, about what you're going to do if you're going to accept that your main thing isn't going to be the thing that brings in the the cheddar. Absolutely. I was just thinking back to the first time I got paid for a poem by a journal and how I nearly cried with happiness at the cheque. And it, I think it was £15. <laughs> Like one five pounds. I, I have a similarly uh, sad story. Um, I I was a a relatively good footballer in my youth, and um, I played 
one 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 match I got paid for. I got paid for playing football once. I was um, I was sixteen years old, and I was called up to Belper Town's first team. They were a non-league team, but the the players in the first team were were paid. You know, forty or fifty. This is about fifteen more than fifteen years ago. It's about twenty years ago, um, and um, and I got called up to play. And I thought I'm going to get paid for playing football. This is fantastic. And it just so happened that it was an away match um, in the north of England, which encompassed a five and a half hour coach journey. And I was a 16 year old boy. This was a group of late 20, 30 something men, and they weren't particularly kind to me. So a fairly unpleasant journey for five and a half hours. I was a substitute. I was an, I was an unused substitute, so I didn't actually get onto the pitch. <laughs> then I had to do another five and a half hours journey back. And the whole thing was fairly unpleasant, but I thought at least I'll get paid for it. Turns out the one time I've ever been booked in my life, shown a yellow card, was about a month beforehand. And my fine came through at just the same time. And they didn't bother doing the two transactions separately. They just took it out of my <laughs> wage packet. So I earned £11, which was a pound for every hour I travelled to go and do nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a terribly tragic so that was your short football career. Well, I had a long football career, but I suppose I don't know. You can't call it a career if you don't get paid for it, can you? No, that's that that particular bit was the entire career. That's what I meant. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Damn it. <laughs> um, you know how earlier on you were saying that we were really on the pulse with what we were talking about to do with writing. Yeah. Well, this is a, a very very quick aside. I was shocked today. To, I clicked on an article that somebody had shared on Facebook. I didn't find it a particularly good article, so I'm not, I don't even know whether I'll put it in the show notes. But what I thought was funny about it was that in the introduction, they were talking about 13 of the most annoying writers you'll ever meet, about the types of writer that were annoying. Um, in the intro, it said, they'll complain about Amazon's stranglehold on the traditional publishing industry and James Franco's writing type career thing for hours. I thought, oh my God, <laughs> how weird is that? Sounds like someone's been listening to our podcast. Someone's listening to the Right for Your Life podcast. Um, I did scroll down. I didn't see us in any of the 13 most annoying writing types. Um, hey, any promotion is good promotion. Yeah, that would have been great, eh? But, uh, but yeah, I just thought I'd mention that, that, um, that we're obviously just banging on about stuff that is just so passe. I, Amazon I, stranglehold on the publishing industry. Hey, but everyone talks about that. I've um, I've just realised that, um, that 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 was sort of our listeners' question that we've just covered in about twenty five minutes. Listeners' question is finished. Freestyle there was just completed. Um, that was freestyle. That suggests that every week you have some kind of um, you know structure to it. I do. No, I do. Okay. I won't. Um, I'm not going to disagree. Um. What else are we going to talk about? There you go. What else are we going to talk about? See, you can even sing it. Um, we were going to talk about real-life Pomodoros, which, when you sent it to me, I thought it was about little people. <laughs> <laughs> I imagined that it was like a little little person that you could just have next to you while you wrote. Are you going to explain what they really are? Because yes. Because they're not actually small people that no. help you write um the pomodoro technique is um something i've heard about a while ago it's it's kind of a 25 minute session of anything i suppose usually creativity i guess but the idea is that you 
set a timer for 25 minutes and you work. You can't do anything else. You have to work for those 25 minutes. And when the timer goes off, then you can have a five-minute break. Um, and and uh, the article that um, we're about to talk about was by Bell Beth Cooper, who does a lot of the writing for the Buffer blog, the you know the app Buffer. Mm, she yeah. writes for that blog. Um, this is on Medium. Um, and uh, yeah, so she refers to it as a high-intensity interval training technique for, for for working and i've i kind of used to do this this is how the kind of how i worked on the novel and it's what you know when i've talked before about the whole the whole idea of chunking so that you say right i'm going to work for this period of time and then i'm going to stop and then i'm going to work for a period of time and then stop it's kind of what i used to do with a novel when i was really into it um you know really working hard on it <laughs> um i didn't specifically do it for 25 minutes i was just doing it for whenever felt natural to stop usually actually like at the end of a chapter or a paragraph or something like that but the idea here behind uh, uh, the pomodoro technique is that you work for 25 minutes and there is an app i can't quite remember the url or the web address to go and find the app but i'll put it in the show notes but there is a pomodoro app where you can actually i don't know click go or something and uh, the app goes off in 25 minutes time to tell you that you're pomodoro session is finished anyway you can use that if you want um but what uh Belbeth cooper is suggesting is real life pomodoros and i think this is something that i do naturally as i was reading this i thought i'm using this technique all the time anyway but i didn't you know i didn't really think about it as a technique it's just i think it's what a lot of us naturally do but perhaps if you actually said this is what if you know if you did it more consciously maybe it would be helpful anyway a real life pomodoro is basically time um time real life things <laughs> or experiences it's basically filling the time that that your appliances around you for example <laughs> might take to complete their cycle using those as um yeah as the timer Yes. So, for ex- the other example, the example here, there is like the cooker. So, if you're cooking something, and you know that it's going to be ready in like half an hour, then instead of sort of sat around staring at the oven, um, you know, say right, I've got half an hour. I'm going to write. Then I know that I've got to stop at the end of that because I've got to take whatever it is out of the oven to stop it getting burnt. Um, another good one is albums. So, if you put an album on, then you say I'm going to work to the end of this album. Thought that was a good one. It is if you want to, if you listen to music when you write. I don't. Sometimes do, but not not usually something that's got um, lyrics in. Ah, uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I looked at them all and I think, wow, that's amazing. While uh, while my cooker's on or my washing machine's on, I'm doing a million other things at the same time. But then I've never tried this Pomodoro technique and I imagine that if I sat down for 25 minutes and I'd worked for 25 minutes that I'd probably be right in it by then and be like, I don't want to take a five-minute break. Yeah, but may- maybe, but maybe it's maybe maybe the, the maybe that motivation or that kind of the notion that it's okay because I'm going to stop in 25 minutes or half an hour or whatever it might be, just that alone, getting you in the chair is a positive thing. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you now that I am going to try this technique before we record next time because I have um, an imminent deadline uh, in my personal writing which I have to um, I have to meet because I have to write a poem for a wedding and I've been left it for a long long time and the wedding is in two weeks <laughs> and I've been faffing and faffing and faffing and 
gathering ideas and, you know, plan of attack and all that. Now I've got to write it. So I'll try this and I will feedback. And um, and I really am quite excited because I think that this could be the way to get back into actually writing this thing, getting it done. I think it's good. I think I think this combined with that notion that you don't need to be sat at your computer in order to get some decent writing done, I think can be successful. So even if you're if you are cooking, I think toast probably cooks a little too quickly for this. But if it's something like, um, let's say a frozen pizza. <laughs> oh no! Come on. Okay, let's say you're waiting for some. Those. You're waiting for some delicious pasta to uh, boil. <laughs> Ten minutes. Uh, there's no way that you can leave pasta boiling on a on a cooker and go and go upstairs or into a different room. You need to sort of monitor that to a degree. So perhaps you can just get your phone out, crank up your favourite writing app on your phone, and knock something out in ten minutes, knowing that 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 you won't be writing for an hour because you've only got those ten minutes before you've got to sort your pasta out. You don't want soggy pasta. No. So. Um, see what you can get done in that time and that is the way that I've written a lot of this fictional podcast pilot that I've done it's been a lot of I've got 20 minutes do I check Twitter or or read the awful news about the cricket again or do I um or do I sit and try and write something slightly silly and sinister and what's a good um time interval for you have you found up to now well, it used to be when I was doing this on my novel, so to be a bit more serious about it, when I was using something that was similar to the Pomodoro technique, I could probably be, I think, about half an hour, 40 minutes, and I would get really lost in it. And then, like I say, I would, I didn't have anything like real life, I didn't have a real, you know, an actual timer. But if I got to the end of a chapter or I forgot to the end of a, like a paragraph or, you know, just sort of a, a sensible place to stop, it was usually around 30 to 40 minutes that that happened naturally. And then I would, you know, I would go and make a cup of tea, you know, have five minutes. Um, in terms of, you know, doing that kind of just using the mobile phone type of thing, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. I've been, I've been just really been banging things. stuff out in 10 minutes. <laughs> I have. That's, that's quite impressive. I honestly, I'm not, I'm not just saying that. But you, you'll, I think, when you listen to the pilots, you'll you'll understand what why I've been able to do that because it's just a series of individual little, um, you know, mm, vignettes. If I if I if I if I'm not overstretching it too much, hmm. so you know, if you just think, okay, well, I've only got to write you know, basically two hundred words, then you can quickly do that, and then you can edit it later. This is true. Well, then I well, anyway, I'm going to give it a go. We'll see. It sounds very good. Report back. So. I will. Real life Pomodoros for for us all. Indeed. And the last thing that we were going to talk about today, because gosh, hasn't time gone, gone quickly? Mm. There's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic um, piece by the author, sorry, well, screenwriter, I think. Can you call a screenwriter an author? Do they mind if you yeah, do that? Yeah, of course. But they're a writer. Just say writer. Well, I, I know that, but I wondered if they... No, I mean, if you, if, you, if you call them writer instead okay. of author. Good point. I never call myself an author. I call myself a writer. But then I'm not an author. You're a poet. Yes. And it sounds like you actually didn't know it. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Uh, so, the screenwriter. Yeah, John August. Um, you know, very, very uh, well-respected screenwriter. I think he wrote the screenplay to Big Fish, the film. Oh, yes, I remember that. He's also the guy behind the um, screenwriting app called Highland which is fantastic I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago and I've been using that to 
write the uh, pilot for the fictional podcast. Have I talked about that enough? <laughs> I'm like um, I'm like a Samsung. I to listen now. I know. You're like a what? I'm like Samsung or Google. They 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 sort of announce things. They're going to say we're going to build the biggest spaceship in the world, and people will go, "Well, let's see it." And they go, "We're going to build it one day, and you will see it one day." Where of course Apple enthusiasts they mock this approach and they say, "Well, look at Apple. They only ever announce things when they've actually got something to show you." So it's, uh, there's a little tech diversion for you. <laughs> and anyway and i'm samsung because i keep going on about this um that was my point <laughs> it doesn't on, exist back. no one can forget it um so back to back to reality um it's a great piece it is basically a list but don't let that put you off um of fantastic tips on how to write a scene um uh, so it's particularly for screenwriters but to be honest the, it works for any genre this is really good advice but there was one particular thing it's the first one actually the first item in the list and i will read it to you now it says well it's kind of two points but the first one is many screenwriting books will tell you to focus on what the characters want this is wrong the characters are not responsible for the story you are if characters were allowed to control their scenes most characters would choose to avoid conflict and movies would be crushingly boring. And this is kind of the second point. The question is not what could happen or what should happen. It is only what needs to happen. Mm. And I thought that was really, really good. And it reminded me when of the editing process, particularly with my novel. So if I sort of switch this around to the novel, all of the stuff that I remember editing out of my novel was extraneous information even if the writing was good even if i thought it was funny or 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 sad or you know really you know good writing i just had to keep telling myself does it actually need to be there it's the whole kill your darlings thing i guess but um, but to ask yourself when you're writing what needs to happen and then he says here like it refers to your referring to an outline if you actually make a list of uh, your your scene or your chapter and say okay so what needs to happen here is the uh, there needs to be uh, a car crash and and uh, this person needs to survive and this person needs to go to hospital and who knows what happens to this person I don't know but that's a fairly macabre example I chose I apologise but you know if you actually write that down and go this is what needs to happen then anything else is is all working towards the main goals so if you're trying to structure a piece of work it seems like a really sensible idea just to have the the real kind of if this book is or this screenplay is going to work then you know make sure this happens because there have been times when i've had i've had that in my mind you know this needs to happen and then it's just gone off in another direction and i've spent hours trying to sort of get back to that point where i've where i where i'm aware of what it was i was trying to do in the first place so is this just basically boiling it all down to plot first then characters maybe maybe this is why he's a screenwriter maybe there is more of that maybe it is a more of a, a plot based way of writing i don't know but i just think it's a good i just think it's a really good sentence or question to keep in your mind whatever type of writing you're doing what needs to happen what am i what am i trying to in order to do what i need to do what needs to happen yeah and i like the idea of like of of you as the creator that you have to ask what do I want these characters to want instead of what do these characters want? Well, I think this one of the most frustrating things that I hear from writers is, and it's connected to the idea of a muse, which really gets on my nerves, 
but it's the idea of people go oh well i just you know the the characters I, I just listen to my characters. They just took me where, took me where they uh, want. All I do is sit down. I just think, oh, for God's sake, man, what's wrong with you? You that is you. Yeah, that is you. You are like, the guy. <laughs> it's like what is wrong with it? Like it's like some sort of terrible problem that they have where they think that their characters are actually real. It's like that doesn't happen. You don't sit down and listen to your characters. <laughs> I, it annoys the heck out of me. Um. So yeah, oh, so I, I fully recommend this entire piece, but I thought that particular that that's that stuck with me, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna use that when my own with my own writing. It's an important thing to remember. Yes, and um, and when I'd heard that, I I had was immediately taken back to plots where I've just thought, for God's sakes, it's just so obvious that certain things had to happen in the plot that it just became unrealistic for the characters that that's what they would want. Like, why would they have done that? Why would they have wanted that? I guess that's when it goes too far the other way. <sighs> I was just going to use Shakespeare as an example there for a terrible, terrible plot. Uh, he uh, sort of universally, universally acknowledges <laughs> being useless. <laughs> I know, and it's going against the grain here, but Romeo and Juliet, man, oh... Okay, if the muse annoys you, Ian, the, the idea of the muse, the, the plot of Romeo and Juliet is just gets my goat, really does. What, what should have happened? Oh, I don't know. I'm not suggesting that I could have written it better. I'm just suggesting that I would have been happy if it hadn't ever been written at all. <laughs> should we just end it on that bombshell? Yeah, go for it. I mean, you know. <laughs> Why not? Hey, you don't have to like everything that was ever written, do you? And that everybody else likes. I don't. Do you think like so. Romeo and Juliet? Um, it's a long time since I've read it. Actually, I don't think I could fully tell you. I mean, Malvolio, he was my. Um, that's right, isn't it? He's in. Mm. He. Um, that was my. Um, I don't know my handle, my username, on a forum that I used to frequent in the early noughties. That sounds really. Do- that entire sentence sounded like something that would, if you were being surveyed or, or there was surveillance on, you'd be flagged. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you don't have to have read it. Just, just the general gist of it is is enough just to get to make my my blood boil. I suspect, like me, you're more of a realist, and you and and with everything kicking off, that you might you think that perhaps someone might have uh, just kind of done a bit of a. An intervention. Well, I say I don't think I'm a realist because I am. I'm a massively into fantasy and science fiction, but I think sometimes if there are just if there's too much of a gap in believability between in something, then then it's just too much for me, and that's what happened with Romeo and Juliet. Which part in particular was uh, implausible for you? Oh, just I think all of it. I was just thinking, just like wait two seconds. No, no, no! Don't stab yourself. No, just oh no, it's too late. <laughs> oh, and there, there he comes through the door. Of course he did. And why did you do that? <laughs> you know, it's just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should have written all this back in my school exams, shouldn't I? You should. You should have. You should have presented them with an audio version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just said what what they wanted me to say. Indeed. But you know. Anyway. Anyway. Um. So we've been um, um, uh, posting from our Jazzy New Right for Your Life Facebook page, haven't we? So people can um, can keep updated during the week with us there. I mean, that's a fascinating uh, 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 choice of word with the, when, when you say that uh, we've been doing it. <laughs> okay. Look, stop it. 
<laughs> my, my other Facebook page had a big milestone this week. It's, I've, it's been incredibly busy for me on Facebook this week. Well, yeah, you just posted on Twitter earlier tonight. You were kind of draped across your monitor, ready and waiting to, to accept the 200,000th like for uh, the Visit Denmark Facebook page. Absolutely. And on top of that, you know, I mean, I've got my own YouTube video still circulating, a ridiculous one with 4,000 <laughs> views so far. So I do apologise, Ian, that I've not been um, posting on the Right For Your Life uh, page. Should we tell everybody where the Right For Your Life Facebook page is? Yes. And when I say that, I mean, will you? Because I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's actually a very difficult one to remember. So listeners, if you grab your pen. Um, it's Stop fa- it. Fa- <laughs> Facebook slash Right For Your Life. Facebook.com slash Right For Your Life. Um, and you'll see our Facebook page. We're 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 battling against the fact that it's it's uh, the old page that I used to use for the blog, and the fact that it's been dormant for so long. Facebook hates us, so it's it's there are five hundred almost people that you know that have liked the page, but um, it I think it's refusing to send the updates to anyone because because um, uh, we haven't updated it for so long. So perhaps the more people interact with it, the better. Uh, the more reach it will have, or something. I don't know. I don't know what the real oh, phrases absolutely. are. Absolutely, it will. And we just need to. Uh, we just need to get Facebook to trust us again. Yeah, yeah. But can we trust them? Oh, good question. Um, you can also keep up to date with me on Twitter, the Flying Poet. And I'm at Ian Broom on Twitter. That's it, isn't it? That's all our deets. All the deets. If you want to listen to uh, any of the previous episodes, you can go to um, 5x5.tv slash WFYL, and it's all there. And show notes for this particular show, as we, uh, as Donna said earlier, are at um, uh, 5x5.tv slash WFYL slash 119. And that's it. It's great. Thank you for, um, for a great show, Ian. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Speak to you next week. Bye-bye.